Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Thank you, and once again, welcome as studying along with us. Uh, John and I are here, and we are in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been working our way through over the past several weeks, and we are now in Mark chapter 8. And uh, we're going to work our way through that chapter together, a lot of... Um, as Mark, as has been the case, a lot of different things that Mark is giving to us. Some similar things take place that we've seen uh, Jesus uh, do before, but you know he does have a, a measure of teaching here in Mark chapter eight, and uh, and there's even in the miracles themselves, there's a touch of some difference um, mm-hmm. that was uh, I think stands out a little bit that we'll spend some time in talking about as well. But before we get into Mark eight um, in and of itself, John, wants you kind of you know give us to, you know where we are, we're we're basically get about halfway through the yeah, Gospel of Mark, yeah, right. and I think things are certainly ramping up for Jesus. Uh, he will most certainly we see opposition. We've seen that before, but I think that opposition will begin to ramp up. But even him really starting to make mention of his death, which we haven't Mm -hmm. seen before, but we'll see here in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, we're going to see that here in chapter 8 as he talks about that specifically. One of the things that stood out to me as you and I have studied through this is Mark's unique approach to telling the story of Jesus. Uh, He does so certainly much more briefly than Matthew or Luke do, and that brevity kind of lends itself to a quicker overview-style approach to Jesus' life. And I, that that is true, it comes across in his writing, but he doesn't sacrifice the key elements to who Jesus is and why he's here for the sake of that brevity. One of the things that we've talked about several times over the course of the study is the time and attention that Jesus gives to the individual. And he has so much compassion for everyone that he comes across and everyone that wants some of his time. We've talked numerous times about just the overwhelming amount of people that would be around him nearly morning, noon, and night, it seems like. Just multitudes of people following him that never seemed to get to him he always seemed to have the compassion and the love that we would expect from Jesus, so much so that he would give of himself endlessly for these people that were around him. And that has really stood out to me. I think Mark very intentionally calls attention to the multitudes of people that are around him all the time, especially in those earlier chapters. But even here in chapter 8, he just continually draws attention to the crowds that are around Jesus And so that's been something that's definitely stood out to me, and we're going to continue to see that here as we get into chapter 8. Yeah, and I think one other thing that really stands out for me in chapter 8, not that Jesus hasn't been focused. He has, from the very beginning, he's very focused on his mission. He's very focused on his purpose. That, That is always the case. But Mark here, really beginning in chapter 8, seems to bring that to the forefront a little bit. 
where Jesus is really, really showcasing that purpose, or certainly Mark uh, shows us the Jesus that mm-hmm. he's focused. And we'll talk about several specific of those things. I mean, he really seems to be thinking about uh, the end more yeah, here yeah. than anywhere that Mark has shown us before. And I think he is getting trying to get his apostles to be thinking about that as well. He has some pretty specific teaching for them, big picture teaching for sure, and even almost picture uh, what's going to happen after he's gone. Mm-hmm. And he's really starting to push that way. And what's really interesting, one, I have to spend a lot of time there because it's just a couple of verses. But uh, I don't want to jump over what happens at the beginning of this chapter. But it, we, we've seen already him engage in a back and forth with his opposition and with the Pharisees, and and he's not against doing that, and he certainly won't be against doing that again. But I do find it interesting that here in this chapter, you know, they they almost try to get him riled up. They try to, you know, dispute him, and he Mm -hmm. just is... He just has no time for that. You almost have the picture of like not not we've got I've not I'm not dealing with you guys today, and, and I and I do find that I do find that interesting because Mark will move very quickly then yeah. into some really specific and deep uh, teaching for the apostles themselves right after he kind of you know pushes the Pharisees away. So we'll talk more about that you know here in just a second. You know the beginning. Uh, it, you, you made the point about the multitude. I mean, verse one. In those days, the multitude, being very great, oh. was there with Jesus. And uh, uh, Mark, he's in a tremendous job of visually painting almost day to day of Jesus. That day to day, he would have been surrounded. Certainly, at this part of his ministry, mm-hmm. probably up to almost the very end yeah. of his ministry would have just been surrounded by hordes of people. And not just one or two folks or just the apostles or even 20 to 50 of his closest disciples, <laughs> but hordes, yeah. thousands of people that we get. Certainly multitude, we get that word a lot. But this is already the second occasion where mm-hmm. we know he had already fed 5,000 men at one time, but now we're getting actual numbers, and yeah. that helps, I think, with the visualization of what his day was like. It does. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to envision being around 4,000 people. I mean, you have to think about going to you know, a basketball game or a football game or you know, at the college level, or something like that, to to think of what it would be like to have four thousand people surrounding you. It's a big group of people, and we're even told here that they had been with him for three days. Right, and so I mean, it's not just as if you know the flyers were handed out that Jesus is going to be here on this day, and they all showed up. I mean, they had been following him for three days, and so if you think it it would be oppressive to have four thousand people surround you. Now think about having 4,000 people surround you for three straight days. And, and to your point, this isn't the first time that Jesus has had thousands of people around him. This is becoming what seems to be somewhat of a regular occurrence. And, and yet, even in the, the very beginning of this, in verse number two, how does Jesus respond to that? I have compassion on them. And it just shows, again, he's not, he's not concerned with having a little bit of space and some breathing room, he's concerned about these people. And it's just remarkable to to really take a step back and see how he's approaching this situation. He sees this as an opportunity. He's not worried about, you know, all these people and taking up all of his time and is he going to get the rest he needs. He's worried about these people. And it, it's showcased here so much so that, you know, the disciples kind of want to send him home 
And he's like, well, we can't do that. They're, they haven't eaten in three days. We need to feed them. And in fact, as you know, we continue on in this story, as soon as he does feed them, he sends them home. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it really was, uh, he was concerned, he's concerned not only for their souls, but he's concerned for their physical well-being as well. And so he takes care of that. Well, I think that's the level, that's the level of compassion, really, that he has, right? I mean, it showcases that. And, and you're right, it, it is, he, he's, listen, he's in and out of boats all the time. I mean, yeah. and, and it seems that it, at this time, he's doing that almost as crowd control, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. We've seen that already, and we see that here. And you made mention that after he feeds them, they take up uh, remnants, much like they did when they fed the 5,000. Very similar, really a very similar kind of story, Loaves and fishes. Mm-hmm. We don't get the actual specific number of the fishes this time, but you know it, it is a very similar story. But and after that, he sends them away. Yeah. He gets into a boat. He has that you know kind of short little deal with the Pharisees. You know, uh, and he's not interested. They're asking for a sign to test him. He's mm-hmm. not interested in putting on a show. I mean, yeah. we've you know we've seen that you know already. And he's in a boat again. Yep. And it is on that boat. I want to spend a little bit of time uh, with this uh, passage from verses 13 th- down through 21. He's on, in the boat. And he's talking you know, kind of with his apostles. And I think this is a good example of when we can come to a passage and we read it through the first time that we're like, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. I, I just I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> and I think sometimes we, we can do ourselves a disservice of trying so hard to grab hold of every single little piece and and of word out of a passage like this and miss the point that Jesus is trying to make. And I think the point that he's trying to make is in verse 15. I mean, that ultimately is in the point, is the point that he's warning his apostles of certain attitudes. And he says, listen, you need to be careful of, of reacting and acting like the Pharisees, which we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about, like Herod who yep. beheads John the Baptist, which we've talked about. You, you need to be careful of those. And, and so is there a piece of Jesus is telling them, I, I can provide everything. If you have me, you mm-hmm. have everything that you need. Most certainly there's a piece of that in his teaching. Sure. And I think that there's a piece of his teaching of just letting them know you've got to be careful about stepping outside of that understanding of all that you need is me. Yep. That's certainly where the Pharisees, they're looking for something else, and most certainly that's where Herod was looking. Yeah, it's so telling. You know, that Obviously, the setup to all of that is the disciples forgot to bring bread for themselves. They didn't have any food to eat. And then Jesus says what you referenced there in verse number 15, because this is what Jesus does. He takes opportunities that are presented to him to then expand on some very important spiritual teaching. That's how Jesus approaches almost all of his teaching. Somebody comes to him with a question, a question about a law, a question about fasting, a question about uh, you name it. And he takes that opportunity to then expose them to the truth of the gospel message that he's bringing to the world. And so that's what he's doing here. He's using this as an opportunity to warn them about some of those attitudes that they are seeing in the Pharisees and with Herod. But his disciples... They're struggling a little bit with this. They think he's still talking about food. Right. You know, they think, they think right. well, this must is this because we don't have any bread? Is that why he said that? You know, they're they're struggling to keep up a little bit with him, which you know, again, we we oftentimes criticize them because that seems to happen quite frequently. But when we take a moment to put ourselves in their situation, they're doing the best they can to to stay with Jesus and to to hear him for what he's actually saying. 
but but Jesus is really it's really important to him. Again, as you pointed out, we're getting a little bit deeper into his ministry. There's going to come a time where Jesus is going to leave, and they're going to have to take over some of these efforts that he has started. You have to be careful with some of these attitudes that the Pharisees are going to continue to try and drill into the heads of the Jews. You're going to have to be careful with Herod and people like him and some of the things that they believe because those things can spread. And you can be susceptible to those things just like the people can. You've got to be careful with that. And so he really is using this, we forgot our bread, we don't have any dinner, to, to help build a, a strong foundation of godly principles that they're then going to be able to use in the, the months and years to come. Yeah, it's the analogy of the leaven, I think, that's throwing them off, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? I mean, they're looking at that as something very specific that he's making reference to. Yeah. But he, he's, in essence, making reference to the fact that it's something that could spread through. And so you've got to be very, very careful that even letting the, the tiniest bit of uh, off thinking, uh, worldly thinking, greed, selfishness, pride, all things that the Pharisees and Herod were struggling with, you let even the smallest little bit of that creep in, and then it can permeate everything. Yep. And he, he wants them to be very, very careful with that, because certainly that's where the Pharisees have found themselves, and then a very individual name that we have here is Herod. And, and so, you know, it, it is one of those pieces of teaching that still holds today in yeah, every no capacity question. that we've got to, it, that's how focused you have to be on what God is looking for us even deviating from that in the smallest little bit opens the door for that to become something huge yep. and so we've got to we've got to stay diligent vigilant even on uh, on Jesus and his and who he is yeah you know Herod is one of those names that is synonymous with this period of time. In fact, there's multiple generations of Herods that all try and silence Jesus and silence the gospel. And so when you compare him to the Pharisees, well, that that's not a favorable comparison for the Pharisees because they, even they see Herod as someone that they they wouldn't even compare themselves to. They're not like right. Herod, you know. They're they're the religious leaders of of the Jews. And yet Jesus is looking at both of them as very, very dangerous because of exactly what you said, because their way of thinking and their influence, their influence that they have, it can spread and it can be contagious in a, in a dangerous way that you can sometimes be blind to until it has almost overtaken you. And so he's trying to warn them about that. I like the, the word that you used. We have to be constantly diligent, constantly on guard about these things to not let those types of thoughts and those types of behaviors permeate our minds and begin to shape the way that we think about things. Yeah. Well, let's use the last few minutes we have here at the very end of this chapter. There's a lot going on. Uh, well, well, there's a, a, a moment that Jesus heals uh, someone. I, I don't want to, you know, jump over that as if it's just something flippant <laughs> or something. You know, not, it, it's, a, it's yeah. a remarkable thing. Yeah. And uh, he has healed uh, the blind multiple occasions. There's a little bit of difference, you know, with this yep. where it seems to be, you know, somewhat of a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I don't mm-hmm. think that has anything to say, certainly about Jesus's power. Um, you know, it'd be something within that man or within that region. Jesus is doing that in some way to teach something. Mark doesn't tell us what, right. what that is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, certainly another example of Jesus and his compassion and helping 
this man. But it is at the end of this chapter where a couple of uh, things occur that I think are important. And the first kind of surrounds Peter, where we get the good and then the bad Mm -hmm. in kind of two successive stories. And we're going to kind of lump them together. And at the very end, Jesus has some very well-known, really, mm-hmm. uh, teaching that he provides. But you have this picture with Peter where, you know, Jesus kind of goes to his apostles and he's kind of asking them, all these people are around, right? I mean, it, yeah. we, it, there's people all the time. And, and he's, you know, who, wh- what, are the, what are the people saying? Well, what's the, what are the comments on who I am? And they give various answers there in verse 28, John the mm-hmm. Baptist. Some say Elijah, you know, others, you know, one of the prophets, you know, fill in the blank in a lot of other ways. And then you have that in verse 29, you know, where Jesus then turns that on them. Well, taking all of them out, now who do you, who do you say that I am? And uh, we're told that Peter, Peter is the one that answers up, that Mm -hmm. you are the Christ. And the other Gospels make mention of this event as well. And, you know, for Peter, to his credit, he is right on the money. And he seems confident about that. And he seems bold in the statement that he's willing to make. And uh, this is a big-time statement, that this is not... You know, we, we think you, you might be, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And for Peter to openly throw that out is really a big deal. It is. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you read these two sections of Scripture and back to back. You get the two extremes of Peter. Right. And he is a man of extremes in a lot of ways. He He is passionate. He's loud. He's the one on the day of Pentecost that's standing up preaching the gospel. He's the one that's declaring that he believes that Jesus is the Christ. He, he's also the one that has a hard time believing some of what Jesus says about his death and his upcoming crucifixion. And at, that's what Jesus is going to talk about there at the beginning of verse 31. And he says, I'm going to have to suffer a lot of things. and I'm going to be rejected and, and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to rise again. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Yeah, it's a that's it, a scary verse. I mean, he just proclaimed Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then a couple of verses later, he's taking him aside to rebuke him. You get these two extremes of Peter. He's so passionate and he cares so deeply for Jesus that that even the mention that something bad would happen to him physically. He he just can't take it, and so much so he's like we gotta we we gotta put a stop to this. I mean this isn't this can't this can't happen, and maybe even pulling him aside, being like, hey, you can't talk about stuff like this. This would worry people. We don't we don't need to worry about this. We'll take care of it. You know I don't know what he may have said to him, but obviously Jesus reacts very harshly to this as you would expect because this is part of Jesus's plan for coming to Earth in order to fulfill his purpose here. This is what was going to have to happen. And this is an important moment for Peter, I think, because he really has to come to terms with being a follower. I think everything we know about Peter, he was a leader. Mm-hmm. We even see that in the in the first few chapters of Acts. He he's a leader, and he's vocal. And in this situation, Jesus needs to remind him that Peter, you need to you need to fall in place here. You need to fall in line. This is my mission. This is my purpose. I'm the Christ. I have a plan, and that was difficult for Peter, I think, to to really come to terms with. 
but certainly we see Jesus really setting him in his place by the way he responds. Yeah, it, it really is showcasing. I think Peter's his he has a lack of understanding. I mean, there's no yeah. there's no getting around that. He has a lack of understanding, not not a lack of zeal or no, not a lack of no. desire. And I certainly don't think it even pulls away from his belief of who Jesus is. Nope, I think I because he believes that so much. It, but has a misunderstanding as why he has reacted in the way that he has. But Jesus wants him to understand that, listen, with the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of God, this other thing comes along with that, yep. that I'll be killed, that I'll rise again. That that goes along with it. And he'll at the end of this chapter, he really expands on the idea that this is going to happen to me mm-hmm. is what comes along with anyone associated with me. Yep. And so he he closes this chapter out with, again, some pretty well-known teaching, but it's pretty profound and sobering in a lot of ways, where he, he'll make the point that, listen, if you're going to desire to come after me, there's a burden that comes along yeah. with that. Yeah. If you're looking to save your life eternally, you're going to have to lose some things. And, and it is, you know, it's a, it's a, that weight that he wants. But yet at the same time, you also have that incredible piece of teaching where Jesus reminds them and us that question, it, well, is it worth it then? Yeah. Well, it, it is, it is more than worth it. Yep. Where you have, you know, there in verse 36, well, what is it, you know, going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Um, you know, do the math on that will showcase how much it definitely is worth it. Yeah, I think it's it's maybe even connecting back to, you know, what Jesus was saying there in verses 31 and 32, that, listen, Peter, you and I'm sure many others are having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that the Son of God is going to be crucified and killed. You're having a hard time coming to terms with that. But let me just remind you, that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't worth it. Jesus wouldn't be here if going to the cross and dying for the sins of mankind wasn't worth it. It is. That's why he's here. That's why he's doing this. And Peter and all of the disciples with you, the job that you're going to have in the days after Christ has risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven, it's going to come with a lot of hardships. It's worth it. And to all of us as Christians today, you know, 2,000 years after this, any hardships that may come our way, it's worth it. That's right. It always has been and it always will be. And the, the challenges look different. It looked different for Jesus. It looked different for the apostles. It looks different for us today. It looks different depending on what country you live in today. But it's always been worth it and will always be worth it. And that's, that's the message that Jesus is trying to leave with his apostles and his followers. Whatever comes your way, never doubt the fact that it's worth it. And whatever happens to you, don't sacrifice your soul to try and save what is a very fleeting and very short physical life. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, powerful, powerful piece of teaching here at the end of chapter 8, and so that's where we'll leave it. Uh, I'm looking forward to chapter 9. We'll get to it next week. Speaking of a powerful piece of teaching at the end of verse of chapter 8, a powerful, powerful event at the beginning of chapter 9. I'm looking forward to talking about that next week.